0: morning to ask that you would speak to us through your word then not only God would you give us knowledge but you would give us insight into what you would want us to be and do because God is simply just having knowledge without application is useless because God you call us not only to, to come as we are but you call us to take what you've given us our, our shape, our spiritual gifts, our heart, our abilities, our our passions and and our experiences. And you place all of those in such a way together, God, that you want us to take those and, and use them to, to build your kingdom here upon this earth. And over the next several weeks, next three weeks, as we talk about the future of Great Oaks, and, and God, we don't have to make that up because you've given it to us in your word. As we review what it is that we, from day one, have always been about and what you'd call us to be, God, we pray that you would enable us to recommit to those, those basic Things in Scripture that you tell us over and over again. And thank you, God, for how your word is so clear in regard to this. Guide us now, this day, in all we say and do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to see you this morning. Last week, if you were here for Easter, a lot of you were gone, probably, on your trips. Uh, It's kind of funny, Easter and uh, the week of spring break in Germantown. Germantown is like a ghost town. I mean, literally, I mean, it's like I, I went to a chiropractor in the middle of the week because my back was messed up, and, or actually Tuesday, and he's going like, man, there's nobody here. It's li- literally, you guys travel so much, you're ridiculous. It's, uh, I, I've never seen a group of people that travel so much, but that's cool. You know, I'm, you know it's cool, you get to travel all over the world, and uh, so uh, that's really cool. But last week on Easter, we had almost 900 people here, you know, and uh, first service, it was packed out, and we had extra chairs set up, so we took some of those down. And uh, so we're glad to have you here today as well. And uh, numbers are great, but uh, numbers only mean one thing. That just means people showed up here. So we want to focus for this week, the next two weeks on something uh, we're, we're calling Next Steps. And that's what the series is called, Next Steps. It's about not next, simply Next Steps uh, uh, individually, but Next Steps as a church. And so uh, we're going to be sharing about some things, uh, not so much detail today because today I want to lay some groundwork for what we'll be doing the next two weeks. But particularly we're going to be talking about this whole thing of, uh, of, of There, on, I don't know if you can see that on the, the top up there, there's that little circle that says uh, step in, step up, step out. You'll be seeing that a lot because that's going to be on everything. That's kind of the, the, the logo that talks about what our purposes are as a church. So the next three weeks we'll be talking about all three of these. Today we'll be talking about stepping in. And what that means uh, is is the life of the church. And we're going to be sharing, I'll be sharing some details about some key initiatives that the leadership team and the staff have been talking about and praying about for the last year. Uh, Some next steps uh, that we feel like we need to take as a church to go where God wants us to go. And I shared some of those things, uh, kind of some broad strokes on 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 your bulletin on the back. So if you want to know what those are, you can read those. I'm not going to share any details about that today. So I just want to, kind of, you know, prick your attention a little bit. Say, hey, this is what we'll be talking about. Uh, some, there's uh, five or six things there that we're going to be talking about. And we'll share more details about that over the next couple of weeks. So that's a teaser to get you back here the next two weeks uh, to learn more about those things. But the thing is, is we really believe that God is, is working in uh, uh, great ways here in this community. And Gra- in Great Oaks' gr- best days are not behind us, but ahead. And uh, so we anticipate what God's going to do. So there's some things we need to do to place us in the place where we need to be so that God can work through us here in this, in this community. And how, what we want to talk about over the next three weeks, though, in the, kind of the broad uh, scape of this, it's in your bulletin, is, is this. How can we as a church continue, not just start, but continue to do what we've been doing to help people step in to a relationship with Jesus Christ, step up into what we call authentic spiritual maturity, and we'll talk about that next week, and step out to use their shape, which I shared in a prayer, their spiritual gifts, their heart, their abilities, their personality, their experiences, uh, to engage and minister to people in the world. How can we continue to do that? Because that's all what we've always been about, but we want to continue to do that, and we want to do it even in better ways because we believe that God has called us to do that. Uh, the, one of the key verses we've always used at Great Oaks is, is the Great uh, Commission, which Jesus was the last commission that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew 28. It says, This therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end. Of the age. And the interesting thing is when I read scripture and when I see that, so often we, we look at church and we ask, what church is all about? Well, I want to talk to you about, for the next three weeks, about the core values, the things that, that really drive what we do, the things that we need to be focused, laser focused on, because these are the things that come out of the great commission that Jesus gave us as well. Because when I look back in the Bible, and if you read Scripture, I think you see this. That even though Jesus was the most holy and he was the most righteous of the person who ever lived, when he showed up in the first century, the unholy and the unrighteous people liked to be around him. It's really strange unholy unrighteous people like to be around Jesus he drew them to him and even though he talked to them about about God and truth and sin he did it in such a way that they were never turned off by him or his message and some of them I wondered if those people in the first century as they encountered Jesus they probably as he talked to them they probably thought if he only knew what a been going on in my life this week, what I did on spring break or uh, about last weekend or what I'm thinking about right now, uh, there's no telling what Jesus would say. But even in the midst of that, when Jesus showed up, people who were nothing like him showed up to hear him speak. And the most righteous holy people in the community were put off by the fact that Jesus hung out with the unrighteous and the unholy. And when I look at that, that is important for today today. And what is important for today is that when this morning, particularly, all across our nation and around our world, um, all the righteous and holy people are gathered together to hear God's word, and most of the not-so-holy and not-so-righteous people stay in droves away from churches. And why, why is there this disconnect? Because we see in Scripture very clearly that that When in the New Testament, it's obvious that the local church is supposed to be the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears of Jesus Christ himself. And when we gather together, it's supposed to be like the closest thing that we will ever get to being with Jesus, even though he is not physically here. And yet, for some reason, we do not have the same effect on people as Jesus did. We don't draw people to us the way Jesus did. And so here's the big question that I wanna talk about this morning, and really in this series. That being the case, why would Jesus spend so much time with people who were clearly not God-fearing to the neglect of the more religious? Why would Jesus do that? And I believe the answer to that question and our willingness to embrace the answer to that question will do more to determine our future as a church than any other question and answer that there is. So this morning I want to talk about that. It will also determine whether we continue to be a church, and hear what I say, continue to be a church that is focused on reaching people as opposed to focused on simply keeping people. And I want us to figure this out, and I want us to be different because for some reason, the local church as a whole, not just simply Great Oaks, but the local church as a whole has, has, it has not, hasn't been for generations, it hasn't had the same impact on the unrighteous and the unholy and the uninterested that Jesus did. But you're going like, well, that's Jesus though. You know, We can't be Jesus, can we? Well, that's not what Jesus said. We just had a series called Greater recently. And you remember one of the verses that Jesus said, what he said in John chapter 14, verse 12? This is what Jesus says about us. He says, I'm telling you the truth. Those who believe in me will do what I do. But then he says this. Yes, they will do even greater things. Because I am going to the Father. And the reason he says this is not because we're greater, but simply because he says, also in Acts 1.8, he says this, he says, when I leave you guys, this is what's going to happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you when I leave, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he says, his mission is our mission, and you can do even greater than I did and be as attractive and effective as I was, but you can do it even better because there's so many of you. And he says, not only that, I'm not leaving you helpless, just do it in your own power. I wanna give you the power to do it. So as we look at this, we ask ask ourselves the question, why why is that not true in our church today? See, I wanna say this to you. If you're here today, if you're here today and you're not a Christian And you're here and you're trying to figure it out and you decided to give it another try, church another try, because maybe you had a bad experience somewhere along the way. And you're going like, well, you know, I'll give it one more try. Let me say this to you. If you were to go back to the first century and you're a person who is not a Christian, you're trying to trying to check out church again. If you were to go back to the first century and you were to run into Jesus, you would like him. You would like him. Even though he was the most holy, the most righteous, and the most perfect person that ever lived. You would not be offended by him. You would not be driven away by him. You would be attracted to the man that you could never be exactly like. Because that is who Jesus was. And if we're to be the church that God has called us to be, and he says that we're being be in scripture, the goal should be that we need to be church, a church who, is, who attracts people and, and helps people to be connected with God and drawn to him. And so that's what, what our goal is. Now, Jesus told us a thousand times in different ways in scripture. And so this morning, I want to go back to one of the most simple stories that we all know. And just to talk about what Jesus, what this means. What does it mean to be a church who, who is attractional like Jesus and who who focuses on the unchurched and, and that people out there are more important than people that are in here? Because that's what God calls us to be with, as a church. In Luke chapter 15, if you have your Bibles today, in whatever version you have them, turn with Luke chapter 15. And Luke chapter 15 is such a, a great piece of scripture that talks about where Jesus talks about this whole thing, and he gives us several stories, but he starts off in Luke chapter 15, verse one, by saying this, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And I thought when I read that, does that strike you as Strange. On Sunday morning, does, does the tax collectors and the sinners show up at Great Oaks or any other church? No, they, they stay away and Groves. Now, I'm not saying that we're not sinners, okay? But what he's talking about here is the, the worst of the worst. And, and the thing is, is that in that day, uh, you know, different, there was different categories of sinners. I don't know if we do that today. We don't do that intentionally today. But in that day, it was just different categories. Sinners were people who cared nothing about God. And there's different groups of those, but there was a group that was even worse than those. And that that was called tax gatherers. And then for some reason in that culture, they were even lower. So, you know, the people that were sinners who didn't care about God could at least go to bed at night and say, well, you know, at least I'm not a tax gatherer. I'm at least better than those people because we always try to make ourselves look a little bit better than somebody who's worse than us. We always try to find something like that, right? Makes us feel better, human psychology. But the thing is, is that we have this, this, uh, this there in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the scripture. And I, so I wonder why this is not true on Sunday mornings. Why does the most disenfranchised not show up at church if in that day, Jesus, once again, he attracted people who were so different. Then in verse, uh, verse two, it says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I mean, They're asking this question, why would Jesus spend so much time with people who are clearly not God-fearing to the neglect of the most religious? So when when he hears this this story, what Jesus does, he tells a series of three parables to answer the question. And in answering the question, he challenges us to the very core of our being as a church and who we are and what we claim to be if we claim to be God followers. So he begins the first parable. It says in in verse 3 and 4, and I'm going to go through a couple of these. I'm not going through all of them, but let me just share with a few things out of this. Verse 3, then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And everybody in that day, being in that kind of culture, would have said, of course he would do that. I mean, you don't leave a sheep out by itself. I mean, if you lose a sheep, you go get the sheep, you take care of the sheep. Everybody would understand that. I mean, Jesus told this story and they go like, yeah, sure. And then he says in verse uh, five and six, he says, and when he finds it, when he finds this lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. The fundamental point that Jesus was making here is this. He says this, when you lose something or when something is lost, you focus on what is lost to the exclusion of what is secured. It's kind of like this. How many of you have multiple kids? Raise your hands. You can raise your hand. This is participation this morning. Okay. Okay. See, that just keeps you awake. Okay. Participation. You've been on vacation. You've been at the beach. You've been somewhere. You got all sun, sun. It makes you sleepy. You need something to keep you awake. I might get you to stand up and jump up and down a couple of times in a few minutes if I see you're too sleepy. But this morning, I just want to ask you to participate. Okay. If you've got multiple kids, okay. Say you go to the mall and you're in the mall and, and or, you know, and, and one of the child children gets lost. What do you do? You go, well, you know, you know. I still got the two other good ones. <laughs> I'm not gonna worry about the lost one, right? So what you do? That's idiotic, you know, you wouldn't do that. What would you do? No, you had two kids secured, or three kids, or four kids, or how many ever kids you have secured, but you keep those kids secured. And at the same time, what you're doing, you focus all your attention on the lost child, right? That's what a good parent would do. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, when you lose something, you focus on what is lost to the exclusion of what is secured. I mean, the kids that are still there are still there. You don't have to worry about them. But the one that's lost, you do something about. So that's, that's, this is Jesus' answer to the question. Why do I focus on what is lost? Because they're lost. If you're secured, you're already in Christ. You already have, you're already in I don't have to worry about you. It's not like you're not a priority, but you're not my top priority. That's what Jesus is saying. Because he says in verse 7, he says it this way, he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He's going like, man, when, you know, let me tell you, the, my top priority, Jesus says, is The lost. And if we are to carry out the mission of Jesus in this world, our top priority needs to be the lost. See, perhaps God's focus is not on what is secure, but on what is lost. And before he, he can say anything, before the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers can say anything else, he tells another story with basically the same message we're not going to look at about some lost coins. And then he concludes with another powerful and familiar uh, p- uh, parable that we all know. In the beginning with Luke, uh, Luke 15, he says this. Then he, Jesus continued. Verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son once said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Let me tell you something. In that culture, when he would have said that and told that story, the people would have gone, <gasps> You know Why? Because literally what it is, the only time a son inherited the estate of his father is when his father died. That's when they got part of the estate. And so literally what this son was doing, he was saying, Dad, you know, just act like you're dead. And give me my stuff because I want it now. And then Jesus, the last part of that, if you read that, he just kind of skipped right over. He says, so the father did that. He Did something that was totally contrary to everything he did. He divided his property between them. Even though the son was so disrespectful of the father, but the father gave it to him anyway. This is a story now that Jesus is telling to make a point. And then in verse 13, he says, Not long after that, this younger son, he got all his stuff together, he took off and he went to another place. He said he got his stuff together and he set off for the distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Basically, he's partied away everything that he had. He didn't have a job. He just kind of went out and had like, you know, went up, went to the beach and hung out there, you know, and had like a spring break for like 27 weeks in a row. I'm guessing, you know, I don't know how long, according to how big of the inheritance was, you know, but he squandered his wealth and wild living. He just did that. And, and let me tell you here, we learn later that his father knows what He does. He gets the word back, this is what's going on. I mean, the father still cares, and he's still keeping tabs, in a sense, on him, and he knows what's going on, but he lets him go do it anyway. But then in verse uh, 14, it says, this is what happens to the son. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Once again, the people in the story would have gone, oh, because these Jewish, and Jewish folks, what do they do? They have this idea of kosher foods, and kosher foods are things you don't. There's certain things you touch, and certain things you don't touch. And one of the things you don't eat is pigs. And here he was feeding pigs. But it says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating because no one gave him anything to eat. He'd squandered everything. He'd go off on wild living. The father, he dissed his father. He, he, he comes to this. It's, the, it's the worst possible scenario that it could happen for a Jewish young man, that your job is feeding pigs, you have nothing to eat, and you hope just to eat the food that the pigs have. But then in verse 17, we hear of a turnaround in the story. And then the story it says, when he came to a census, this young man came to a census, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He realizes how bad this is. I mean, the situation he's in. He hits the bottom. I I have seen this so often in people. Uh, They come to the place where they have no other hope, and so what do they do? They turn to God. Because they have no other hope. They've tried everything else. They hit bottom. This is what this this, this young man does. And he repents. That's what it says he did. He He says to the Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He realizes who he is. He humbles himself. He repents. And he begs for his father to take him back Not as a son, but as a servant. So he says this, and he said, this is what I'll say to my father. And then in verse 20, it says, so he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. The father had not heard the words yet, I'm sorry. The father had not heard any of this stuff yet. But he still had compassion for him. Folks, if you're here this morning and you're far from God, And you're at a place where you want to say to God, God, I'm sorry. God has, this is what God has, feels for you. He, he has compassion for you as well. God feels that way for you. And, says, then he, and then the story says he had compassion. Then he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him. And the Pharisees at this point would have thrown up their hands and go, No way! Man, he just messed up big time, this father did, because what he did is he went to his son who had been cleaning, been, been feeding pigs, touching pigs, doing all his stuff with pigs, who was unclean. And what does that make him? Unclean. And now by the father going to him, even though he had compassion on him, he goes and he throws his arms around him, and now the father is unclean. It'll take months for him to get out, get out over the pig stuff. You know, re- Really. And I think Jesus probably paused at that point. And then he said the last words. He said, not only did he throw his arms around him, but he kissed him. Ew. I mean, what could Jesus, I mean, what could, what could his father do? He did all that because he loved him so much. And then he says to his son, he says in verse 21, the son said to him, father, I have sinned against you, having it against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's where he says he's repentant. And then in verses 22 through 24, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and now he's alive. Again, he was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. He was not lost physically. He knew where he was, but he was lost what? Relationally. He had broken his relationship with the father. And we can read a few few chapters later in Luke, and we read that Jesus says this, and this is what reminds us of what his mission is and what our mission is. In Luke 19, 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. What was lost relationally? What was relationally? Those people who relationally disconnected from God, that's the purpose that Jesus came, to reconnect us with God. That's his primary mission, and then that is our primary mission as a church. And this, If this was a movie, this whole story was a movie, you know how there's music in the background and music sets a tone, it's really cool how music does that. You ever watch a movie, a movie without the music? Turn off the sound sometime and watch it. it. It's totally different, you know? Especially creepy things, you know? It's kind of like the creepy music or something, or dramatic stuff. It's amazing. Music all of a sudden will, you know, and it, Well, if this was a movie, right at this point, the music would have changed because the mood of the story changes because we come into this, the presence of the older son. And in verse 25, it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He had never left home. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and he asked him, what was going on? And the servant replies, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. I mean, you would think the older brother would be a little happy about this, but he wasn't. Because he says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Hey, I've been going to church all these years. I've been doing keeping the Ten Commandments. I've been doing everything right. I pray every day. I do my quiet time. I go to Bible study. You know, I do all the things. I go to small group. I do everything I'm supposed to do to be a good person. I've done everything right. He's what he's saying. He said, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends but when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home you kill the fatted calf for him. Basically he's saying this so many words, dad why are you so focused on him and not me? That's what he's saying. And then The story is concluded by Jesus when he says this. This is what the son, the father says. He says, my son, saying this to the older son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead to me, relationally dead to me. And he's alive again. He was lost and He's found. And Jesus concludes the story, and I don't know what happened in the conversation following that, but the thing is, chapter 15 concludes. But Jesus makes his point in three different stories. He says the same thing. He makes it multiple times in Scripture. Why did Jesus spend so much time with people who were nothing like him? Because that's what he came to do, to seek and to save that which is lost, lost relationally. Now, this was not, I don't think this... Should be offensive, but I'll say it anyway. The way that Jesus sees the world is this He saw the world this way 2,000 years ago, and this is the way He sees the world today. There's two categories of people there's lost people and there's found people. There's lost people and secured people. There's broken relationship people and people that are back in relationship. There's prodigal sons and there's sons that have never left the farm. And I wonder this morning if Jesus was standing here and he would say to us, uh, he'd say to me, he'd say, Bill, you know, I hate to break it to you, Bill, but you and your staff and your wonderful church and millions of Christians in the world, you're great, you're fine. You're just not my primary focus. You're not why I came. I came to restore relationships with the lost, the disenfranchised, disconnected people. And that's the heart of Jesus we see in Scripture over and over. That's not a gray area. That's a clear area in Scripture. And the implications for that are huge for you and for me. And for us as a church, because the easy thing, let me just tell you this, the easy thing for us to do is to continue to fill up buildings and sing songs and do Bible studies, and those things honor God. But his focus is on who is not here. And that's what he challenges us to be focused on as well. See, if you're here and you're far away from God, you are more God's focus this morning than I am or anybody else is sitting here who already knows Christ. And know that's hard for us to hear. It's not about us. But that's what Jesus is saying. And so I want to ask you a question this morning, kind of bring things to conclusion here. The question is this, will we individually and as a church have the heart of the father or the heart of the older brother? Will we individually and as a church have the heart of the father or the heart of the older brother? The heart of the older brother is it's all about me. Let me tell you something about Great Oaks. When this church was started, it was started by people who were so much committed to having the heart of the Father. It was not about being safe and secure. I mean, it was, it was, it was risky to start a church in a community, in a school with no resources. But it was about the lost, the disenfranchised the disconnected people that were out there. And I remember even when I came in, the church was about four and a half years old when I came on board, something like that, four and a half, five years old when I came on board. And I was so excited, and I still am, okay, about the fact that this church wanted to reach the people, of the community, and we were here for them out there. And the challenge for you and for me is simply this: that we will continue to be a group of people who are focused on the unreached, and don't become like. Now, I know this is, this is going to sound incredibly judgmental, and it is. Okay, that we don't become like most of the other churches in America, who focus on who's here and who gives the money and what, and, and, and all about who is who and where does everybody sit and where do you park. I mean, who cares? And we have never been like that. That's great news. But you don't want to ever become like that, and I don't want to ever be a part of a church like that again, or lead a church like that. I don't want to become an older brother that is so satisfied in my Christian life, and my life is so consumed with the business of running the big church, that I forget about, that that I am not my heavenly Father's priority his main priority. Because guess what? I'm already in. I feel I'm secured in Christ because of what he has done and what I've accepted him for what he has done. And his primary focus, as it was when he sent his son into this world, was and is on outsiders. Those who have never known or known and forgot or intentionally turned their back on God and walked away. And I want to say this, the one thing that makes this so weird to talk about in in this setting is that I used to be one of those people, an outsider. And so did you. You weren't born a Christian, a follower of Christ. You had to make a decision somewhere along the way. And somebody shared with you about what it means to follow Christ in some way. And over the years, the exciting thing is that God has used Great Oaks and the people of Great Oaks to reach the people. Let me just ask a question this morning. This is participation again, okay? Okay. You can raise your hand about this one. How many of you, how many of you, yourself or one of your family members, came to know Jesus Christ through the ministries of Great Oaks or were baptized at Great Oaks? A lot of people. A lot of people. We've baptized tons of people over the year, and we've had a lot of people come to Christ over the years. Some of you are afraid to raise your hand like oh, don't know who I am. I thought about that Half a, a good percentage of our leadership team. That's true of. See, it's it's this this is the deal. Because of the fact that God has brought us back to Himself, that should make us so grateful that we are, that we so so extraordinarily motivated to be the men and women who are catalysts to see people come to faith because we were so grateful for what he did for us. But it's so easy just to be like the big brother just working our job and being satisfied uh, with going to heaven and when we die and, and hope that God is paying attention to all the good I'm doing and the money I'm giving and all the stuff I'm doing in my life. And like the story earlier I asked about, I mean, have you ever lost something and tried to find it and were frustrated because nobody would help you? I was in the mall, not here, but in Virginia years ago when I was there. And there was this lady there, and, and she obviously had, she had two or three kids with her, but obviously one of her kids had gotten misplaced, however you misplace a child, okay? And she was walking around the mall frantically, frantically trying to find her child, and she was so upset because people weren't helping her. And a few of us there stopped her and talked to her, and you know, kind of, I thought, most people thought she was just a crazy person, you know? Yeah. Women losing their child are crazy people, okay? But the reality is, is, that was what was going on. But she was so frustrated because nobody would join her in the search. I wonder if that's how God feels, how Jesus feels, because he said, I come to save that which is lost. And I want you to join me in the search of doing that. See, the value of something is determined by the time we give to searching for it, the energy we give to searching for it, and the price we're willing to pay to retrieve it. How much does God value those who are disconnected from Him? How much do you you value those? who are disconnected from him? How much time are you willing to invest and to spend? How much time, energy are you willing to invest? What is the price you will pay? Now, I don't think we've lost that as a church, but we could easily lose it, that passion. You know why? Because we're big. You know that we're, we're in the top... About 8% of size of churches in America, 80% of churches are under 200 in attendance. Okay? 80% under 200. And, and so sometimes people look at Great Oaks, and I've heard this in the community, hey, you're the big church. That's how they describe us, the big church. Now, there's always a bigger church, I know. Okay? But not here. And because of that, when you get big, you sometimes lose your momentum and you lose your, your, your passion for reaching people. You know, when, when we were in, I call it the pioneer days of Great Oaks at, over at the elementary school, I remember that. Uh, boy, that was a crazy time. I and mean, we were just glad to get any, we, we would accept dogs and cats and, you know, anybody that would show up, you know, we'd count them, made us look better. No, we really didn't do that. Uh, but the, the, the reality, the reality is, 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 you know, the thing is, we're big. We have a great children's ministry, a great student ministry, cool music. And we paid off our debt this week. Let, yeah, you can. Hold it, hold it. That's good and bad. Good thing is, we don't owe debt anymore. The bad thing is, oh, we've arrived. Eureka, we found it. No, 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 no. That just means we have resources now to do some stuff that God has been calling us to do for a long time that we never will be able to afford to do. It means we need to double down now. And sometimes I look around, and we, I was talking about this with my accountability partner the other day about, so there's, there's some insider mindsets that's really, 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 really easy to look around and realize that we sometimes could lose a little bit of momentum about that that guests are primary on Sunday mornings? You know how we lose that momentum? There's some clues. Let me tell you insider clues. Okay, don't raise your hands. This is not something you want to raise your hands about, okay? But this morning, if you're a key volunteer and you park near the building, why? You need to leave the prime spots for for the guest. You used to do that a lot. I can remember days, and some of you still do that. You park way out there somewhere, you know? because you're going like, there's going to be guests here this morning, they need the prime spots. That's a clue that we've kind of not thinking about people on Sunday morning as guests anymore, that we're thinking thinking about us. And we don't do that intentionally, we just kind of start doing that. Or we use insider language. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, if, if, if you have to explain where your kids need to go with more than two words, where the kids are, we're, we have our own language now. We have our own titles for stuff. You know, when I'm, when I'm with people in the community and they ask me about, do we have this? I never use the terms that we use here because we have insider language. We call it Upstreet and, and this. We have student ministries called Breakaway. and I call it senior high, junior high, children, preschool, nursery. Everybody out there and understands that. And we've intentionally tried not to use insider language on on facilities in here. For instance, this is not a sanctuary, this is the big room. Because we want people to understand when they come here that they feel like this is not simply a place where you have to be an insider to really get connected with it as well. And another insider clue that we kind of can lose momentum, it's just a little clue as well, is that on Sunday mornings, uh, we just talk to our friends. Yeah, it's great to talk to your friends, but sometimes look around you and see who's here that seems disconnected. It's really easy to figure people are disconnected. They don't notice that the coffee is free. You need to tell them, even though it has a sign. They don't know where the bathrooms are, even though we have signs, because they're not used to the building here. You need to look around for people that look like they're confused and lost and go and talk to them. I mean, if somebody showed up at your house and your front door and you invited them to come and they showed up and they walked in, would you just turn around and ignore them? Would you just have a conversation with your kids or your family or whoever and, and just kind of ignore them? No, you wouldn't do that. That's not what you'd ever do. You wouldn't do that. Folks, those of us who are insiders need to have the, a mentality that we are here and that God's primary focus is those who are outside who need to be connected with God and we want to make them Welcome. I think that's what Jesus was all about. For some way he could speak the truth, and he did it in such a loving way that people never felt, even though they they heard the truth, they never felt condemned. So what will we do? What will we do? Well, are you willing to be inconvenienced? Are you glad someone was inconvenienced for you along the way? You know, parking a little bit further out, inviting them to your house. Connecting with them, spending some time. We're we, we in this thing where we get so crazy in our schedule, we, we don't have time for any of those things. So here's a challenge I want to do this year for, the, for today. This is just a week one challenge, okay? The week one challenge is this. If truly our mission is God's mission, which is Jesus' mission, to seek and save those who are lost, I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to ask that God would bring to your mind, Somebody that's in your sphere of influence, work, neighborhood, somewhere, that is disconnected from God. And I pray that as God brings that to your mind, what you would do is that you would make a commitment to pray for that one disconnected person every day this year. And your prayer would not just be, God, let me keep them in my mind, but your prayer would be, God, would you open up opportunities for me to be a part of their life and opportunity to talk with them about my faith? And you're going, oh no, I couldn't do that. Because I don't know the words. Folks, your testimony is just your story of how you came to know Christ. You don't have to have all these big words. You don't have to be a theology major to do that. Some of the greatest people who bring people to Christ are new Christians. Because they still have this passion. And they know, they, it's been so recent in their, in their mind about what God has done in their, in their life that they cannot help but share. So if we're going to do what God wants to do and we want to continue to be the church God wants us to be, we need to continue to do what Jesus says is our primary mission. And that is realizing that the most important thing is those people disconnected and God wants to use us? He says to be his witnesses here in our Jerusalem, Germantown Hills, Metamore, East Peoria, Peoria, Washington, wherever you live, in the uttermost parts of the earth, is what he says, everywhere. He wants to use you. And let me tell you, the greatest times in the life of this church is when we see people come. Next week we'll have baptism. Or when you talk to a person and they say, I'll think about that. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure about this Jesus Christ thing, but I'll think about that. That's a, that's a breakthrough. But God wants to use us that way. And we will continue to be the church that makes an impact on this community when we decide that that's going to be our number one priority. So, number one, let's help people step in to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I turn to you right now and ask that you would just guide us this morning to help us to understand clearly what your word has to say here about this. God, in your word, in scripture, it is so obvious, it is so obvious that your priorities are supposed to be our priorities. And it's so obvious what your priority was, Jesus, when you came upon this earth. You came to seek and save that which was lost. And you said that in so many different ways. So God, help us not to become satisfied like the older brother was, simply a person who, who focuses on ourselves, our needs, our comfort, our wants. But help us, God, to be persons who more than anything are on mission with you. And in doing so, God, we could see the impact of not simply dozens, but hundreds of people in this community come to know you. People that are disconnected this morning who are, who are probably not even thinking about church. Not thinking about you, God. But God, they need to be because, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we know that without you, we do not have hope. We don't have hope for eternity, but we don't have The hope and the resources to live life day to day in a way that makes us effective and gives us peace and hope. Guide us this morning, God, that we would be the church that you have called us to be. Help us to have the heart of the Father. A heart for people that are lost and disconnected. And this week, God, I pray that everyone here would get in their mind the, someone that they know that's disconnected from you, God, Just whether it be somebody at work, somebody at school, somebody, somebody at, in their neighborhood, wherever, and go in to pray that, God, you would use them this year to connect those people and help them take their next step towards you. Thank you, God, for what you will do as we commit ourselves. this great purpose. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.